Hey everyone, it's Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and I was really excited to bring you this week's broadcast because ever since the Ebola apocalypse, the threat of a pandemic has been at the forefront of my mind. But getting a straight scoop from the government has already proven to be a virtual impossibility. So I was glad to catch up with someone who I really see as a real whistleblower when it comes to exposing the real dangers of a pandemic and what you can do about it. This interview is loaded with practical tips, and I know that you're going to love it. So let's get started. If bullets were flying, your adrenaline surging, would you hit your target? If the world as you know it crumbled tomorrow, collapsed into chaos, would you know how to survive? If you and those you loved were cornered by a gang, violently attacked, could you protect them? Could you protect them? Could you protect them? Tactical firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. All you have to do is watch the news to see more and more warning signs that the world's health and medical community is nearing a state of panic. From ineffective vaccines to medicine-resistant strains of viruses and even the scare of deadly diseases such as Ebola or worse, the Center for Disease Control has had to admit that we're well overdue for a wide-scale pandemic outbreak and we're ill-prepared for it. Just recently, they've been forced to admit that the vaccine for the 2014-2015 influenza outbreak had little chance of providing you any protection, and it only gets worse. The emergence of the H5N1 strain of avian flu and the reemergence of the H1N1 swine flu strain have heightened concerns that we're poorly prepared to manage another worldwide outbreak. To say nothing of the scare of other stuff that's happening, as well as the downside of antibiotics losing their effectiveness on even, even diseases that we thought were easy to wipe out. So, what is the medical community going to do to prepare for an uncertain future? Well, unbeknownst to the public, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, in collaboration with state and private organizations, have been placing more and more emphasis on what is known as palliative care. And palliative care is basically when the doctors and nurses are powerless over fighting a disease and simply try to provide as much comfort as possible to you or someone that you love as you fight for life on a, on a sick bed. Because the medicines just aren't working. But think about this. When you're staring at your child or your grandchild suffering in a bed with a weak, pale face, uncontrollable chills, an unbreakable fever, looking back at you with failing hope in your eyes, is, I'm sorry, there's nothing we can do really what you want to hear as you watch them fade away. Now, as a survivalist and a protector, you know that you are the only one you and your family can truly depend on in a crisis. But how can you help your family if a pandemic outbreak strains our medical system beyond capacity and suddenly, care is hard to find. And antibiotics or antiviral medications are harder still to come by. Well, that's what we're here to find out. Hello, everyone. This is Jeff Anderson, publisher for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine, with another podcast to help you better prepare in your role as a protector and patriot. And here to help us learn more about the real-world steps that we can take to prepare for the dangers of a pandemic outbreak is Mike Adams of NaturalNews.com. Mike, welcome to the program. Hi there, Jeff. Thank you for having me on. It's a pleasure to join you here with this topic. This is great, man. I've been really, I've been a big fan of your work, and I've, I've really been looking forward to this call. So I know everybody's going to get a lot out of it. Now, listen, everybody, if you've not checked out Mike's work yet, you're in for a real treat, and most likely a real shocker as well, because 
Mike is an activist turned scientist and the founder of Natural News, a science-based natural health advocacy organization whose mission it is to expose consumers to the dangers of things like synthetic chemicals, heavy metals, hormone disruptors, and other chemicals that are found in foods, medicines, personal care products, and other items. In his work, he's become a real thorn in the side of both big pharma companies looking to pull the wool over consumers' eyes, as well as the corrupt government agencies that protect those companies. But it's his research and no BS approach to showing people how to protect themselves on a larger scale pandemic outbreak that we have him here on the show today. Now, for more information on Mike and how you can take control of your own health, please visit his website at www.naturalnews.com. And just in case you're wondering, like, why we've made this switch over to natural health, Mike is also one of those guys who really gets it. Like, he, he's a CCW holder. He's a tactical firearms trainee. He's even got long-range weapons training under his belt, too. And once you get to his website, you'll see that this is one of the people that really get what's going on. So I'm really excited to have him on the show there. So let's go ahead and jump right into the interview. Mike, some experts estimate that, that based on historical models for influenza A, we could see a 2% to 3% case fatality rate during a pandemic, which in the United States alone, if you do the math, that could lead to at least 8 to 9 million deaths in just a few weeks. Now, in the case of the H5N1 avian flu, that, that fatality rate goes upwards of like 40 to 50%, to say nothing of what we, you know, we've seen with like an Ebola outbreak or something like that, one that isn't controlled in time and can really, really take off without anything there to really stop it. So in your opinion, just how real is the threat of a pandemic? And based on what you've seen in the past and overseas, what does a pandemic look like for those in an affected area? What can, what can people expect to see when they look outside their window? Well, Jeff, I, I have no doubt that a pandemic that sweeps across America and around the world and causes a very high fatality uh, count is inevitable. It's only a matter of time because of the structure of human civilization. What we have right now, we have massive immunocompromised populations. Uh, people are unhealthy today, more unhealthy than they were back in the 1940s or even the 1800s. People were actually healthier once they survived uh, being an infant. They were healthier as adults than they are now. We've also got very rapid air travel. So when there is a pandemic, it can spread very, very quickly. We also have people who... They really don't don't take care of their health, so they 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 don't understand how to stop disease. Their vitamin D suppressed, for example, and vitamin B suppresses uh, or blocks many infections. So they don't take care of their health, and yet they socialize with others in very crowded areas, such as cities. And we have public transportation, subways, trains, uh, taxis. And what this does, this concentration of human population density in a small areas, creates a mathematical near certainty of an eventual pandemic that sweeps through the population and causes mass fatalities. But uh, interestingly, and to wrap up this question, a, high, a highly fatal disease that kills 50, 60, 70% will actually not be as successful in spreading as a disease with low fatality rate. So a, a, a flu, for example, that kills, let's say, 5% of those that it infects will tend to actually cause a much higher total fatality rate than something like Ebola, which tends to kill its victims so quickly that they can't run around and spread it. So don't be uh, misled by a, a high fatality rate versus a low fatality rate. It's actually the low rate that is a greater threat to a large population. That, 
That is interesting because it's kind of opposite of what most people would think. I mean, when Ebola hit, it was like this giant scare. We're all going to start bleeding out of our eyes. But, you know, we're seeing more of these of these instances of like measles and the flu and things like that, that we that have a much higher track record. When you put like the statistics side by side, they do have a much uh, higher incidence of, of fatality. Yes, absolutely. Remember, these diseases, they need carriers to stay alive and keep spreading them. Because, you know, the, the zombie apocalypse hasn't happened yet. So they, they have to keep the, their host alive to, you know, to spread it to others. So a, a flu that is, again, a 5% fatality rate, but that has a very long incubation period can actually be spreading throughout the population for many, many weeks uh, before anyone notices that the pandemic has actually begun. Well, and you bring up something um, really interesting. I mean, it's really it, it really is obvious. I mean, all you have to do is look around the local mall to see that we're a society with a very, very poor track record of taking personal responsibility for our health in general. So right. it's really not surprising that we're a nation armed with poor information when it comes to the threat of a pandemic as well. So what would you say are like the three most common myths that the public has about how to respond to a disease outbreak that could hit your family, and why are they wrong in their assumptions of those? Oh, wow. Well, uh, yeah, this is, this is a huge area. Most of the information, well, let's start with number one, the vaccine question. Now, I'm not against the science of immunization, uh, even though I've been mischaracterized uh, in that way. But I can tell you I've, I've researched vaccines uh, very diligently and with a, a lot of research of reading the vaccine inserts. And I can tell you, that many vaccines simply do not work. So, and, and some of them admit right on their inserts that they can spread the disease that they're trying to prevent. For example, if you read a chickenpox vaccine insert sheet that comes with the vaccine, it says this can spread chickenpox. Uh, if you read a, a, a measles or a mumps vaccine insert, it, it says this doesn't work on everyone. If you read an HPV Gardasil vaccine insert, it says that young girls, after they're injected with this, can lose consciousness and fall down and hurt themselves. That's in, that's printed on the sheet. So you, if you have blind faith in vaccines and nothing else, then you're stupid. Uh, vaccines have a role to play in society, but they're not the, the one and only answer. And when it comes to pandemics, the vaccine development curve is always far behind the pandemic itself. For example, like you mentioned in the intro, the CDC admitted that this year's flu vaccine doesn't contain the correct strains of the flu. I've often said that flu shots are awesome if you're a time traveler because they work for last year's flu. So if you have a time machine, it'd be great to take a flu shot now. Go back to last year. You're going to be protected. But this year's flu strains have already mutated and they're different. And in a pandemic, in a viral pandemic, you got to realize that a virus is the, the quasi-life form on our planet that mutates more rapidly than any other life form on the planet, more rapid than a, a bacterium or amoeba or certainly primates or mammals of any kind. So even if the vaccine industry tries to nail it, they're usually behind the curve and it's already mutated to be something different. So that's myth number one. Don't, don't have blind faith in a, in a vaccine that may not help you. The second myth is that the government is going to tell you the truth about what's happening. Now, uh, I'm a huge skeptic of the CDC. I've documented CDC cover-ups when they would silence whistleblowers. And I've documented cases where they would openly lie to the public or they would post something 
for example, with the Ebola scare, they posted a PDF document that said it could be spread through aerosolized particles. And then the next day they pulled that off their site and then claimed, no, it can't spread through the air. So they will, they will change their story whenever they're told to do so, often by the White House. And along with that comes the third myth, that the media will tell you the truth about what's happening. With the Ebola scare, there was a day right before the midterm elections last year in 2014. There was a day, it was about a week before the elections, when the entire national press was told to stop talking about Ebola, that it was scaring people too much, and everybody across the board went silent and stopped reporting Ebola infections, Ebola hospitalizations, uh, Ebola patients being flown into the USA, and so on. So you will not get the real story from the government or the national media when it comes to a pandemic. You know, and this is, you know, this is, um, you know, we, we, we've seen this before. And, and it, and it kind of makes sense when you take like a bird's eye view of it. It's like because we always talk about how just like most people aren't taking care of their health, most people aren't prepared for any sort of disaster of, of any type whatsoever. And right. so, you know, I get the whole, you know, don't tell them the zombies are coming because everybody's going to freak out, you know, stampede the stores, everything else, try to duct tape themselves back into their home. And, <laughs> you know, I, I get all of that. But then there there is this need for those people that do want to be in the know, the people who are self-reliant, to be able to take responsibility and have the and try to have the right information to be able to make the right decisions. And one of the things that um, I, I really uh, I found this on your site. And I, I just thought it was it was absolutely a brilliant insight, which is if you want to look at what a pandemic lo will look like when you look out the windows of your home here in the United States, if it really hit hard, then look and see what the United States is already doing practice wise when it had a response inside of um inside of Africa and the and the areas that were affected by Ebola where they literally had medical martial law. And what right. what were some of the things that, you know, we should take from what our practice response was in another country of what we might be able to see here? Well this is I'm really glad you mentioned that. This is one of the most important things to be prepared is to anticipate the almost certain government response, which will include gunpoint enforced uh, quarantine of certain, you know, infected population areas. And I can't even say that I disagree with the the thinking behind. I mean, if, if there's, let's say there's one town, you know, you've got a whole country to protect and there's one town of people who have this horrible pandemic spreading in just the town. You know, you'd want to block off the town and obviously you want to try to save those people too, but you definitely don't want those people traveling to uh, other cities and infecting others. So you will have quarantines. And how do you enforce quarantines? Well, obviously, even though the Obama will never say this, you enforce them at gunpoint, right? That's, that's, <laughs> that's the way they're enforced. Otherwise, it's not voluntary. You know, please stay in your town. No, it's enforced at gunpoint. So the problem with this is that what if you are a healthy person in that town? You're not yet infected. And you're trying to get out, but now you're you're stuck there at gunpoint, and you're going to die because you're going to get infected. And if you try to escape, you might get shot. So now you're a prisoner of the system, even though you're not even infected. So what you need to do to be safe is to anticipate. Number one, know the signs of when a, when a pandemic is happening, and anticipate the government's response so that you don't get caught as a victim in a quarantine area 
where you are likely to be infected and possibly killed by the pandemic. Yeah. And I think we're going to dig deeper into that one, too, because there's a lot of stuff built into there. Listen, everybody, we're here with Mike Adams of naturalnews.com to discuss how to survive a pandemic outbreak. And we really do have a lot more in store for you. So stay tuned because we're also going to be talking about fast response tactics to avoid a rampaging viral outbreak, making that decision of whether to go to the hospital or stick it out at home. And I'm also going to ask him what steps that you can take during a pandemic when you suspect that you or a family member may be ill. But first, check out this special message. In any disaster, crisis, or attack, your life and the life of those you love could solely rest on the survival gear you've acquired. Do you have the proper gear to protect you from the threats you'll face? Whether it's preparing your home against the destruction and mayhem of a city in chaos, or you're bugging out to a safer location when a natural disaster forces you from your home, the supplies you have right now could ensure your survival or seal your fate. Don't take the risk. Claim your free copy of our exclusive guide, Survival Gear Secrets, at survivalgearsecrets.com and discover the seven-phase survival gear plan every family must prepare for or face the consequences. Five no-bullshit warning signs that a collapse is headed your way, so you're already in action long before your neighbors even know what hit them. And how to know exactly when it's safer to stay at home and shelter in place. Or get in the family bug out mobile and get the hell out of Dodge. Your fellow citizens may be fine with sleeping in a crowded stadium waiting for FEMA to hand them a granola bar, juice box, and a blankie. But you know that no one can protect your family better than you can. If you're properly prepared with the right supplies and equipment to ensure your survival. Don't wait until it's too late. Find out what's missing from your survival gear plan by grabbing your free copy of Survival Gear Secrets now at www.survivalgearsecrets.com. And now, back to our show. Okay, we're back with Mike Adams of naturalnews.com as he reveals real-world steps that you can take to protect yourself and your family during a pandemic outbreak. We've got a lot more information to cover, so let's go ahead and jump right back into our interview. Mike, the, the World Health Organization lists six phases for a pandemic, phase one being like no real risk, all the way up to phase five, where we're starting to see a more rapid transmission of a disease happening in more than one country. That's their, their, you know, their labeling. And ultimately, phase six, meaning a global pandemic outbreak is underway. So what are the most critical steps someone should take once we start to see the signs that a real potential threat of a virus or disease is, is spreading on a wide-scale infection. In other words, what steps can we take to avoid contracting a virus that's on the rampage? Well, the first and most important step, and, and this is almost never mentioned by any official sources, is to boost your own immune function. You should be taking care of your health in lots of practical ways. For example, most people are vitamin D deficient, I mean chronically deficient, because they're not getting sunlight, they have indoor jobs, especially those of you listeners who have darker skin pigmentation, black skin or, or any kind of darker skin, that skin naturally blocks UV rays from sunlight. And it's those UV rays that generate vitamin D in your skin. So if you are a, an African-American, if you are a Latino, if you have darker skin, you are producing less vitamin D than a fair-skinned person, which means you need to be supplementing more vitamin D to have the same levels as a white person in your blood. So you need to understand uh, how your body actually works, and a lot of people don't. Second thing you need to be doing is, is eating more fresh herbs. 
every person should grow fresh herbs. I mean, simple garden herbs like oregano, peppermint, basil is a very powerful antiviral, uh, thyme, rosemary, all these things. You should be growing them yourself in a little, small, like a windowsill garden. You can use them for cooking too if you want, but you need to be growing these because you should be eating them. Uh, put them in salads. Uh, fresh herbs where the, the oils that they have are very, very potent when they're freshly harvested. Are there, some that are, are there some that are better than others? Are there like ones that are more antiviral in, in, in their yeah. properties? Oregano and basil uh, are two of my most strongly recommended herbs uh, that you can grow like that. Mm-hmm. Obviously, garlic and onions are also very, very good, and ginger is good, although it's a lot more difficult to grow uh, ginger for most people. But But garlic is easy to grow. Oregano is easy to grow, and basil is super easy to grow. They're all antiviral. They have documented antiviral properties. But uh, moving on to, to the rest of, the, of, of your question here, the other thing that you should do besides boosting your immune system is you should avoid contact with people because the other people out there are not probably taking care of their immune systems, so they're a lot more likely to get infected and to carry that disease and spread it to you. So you do not want to be in a crowded movie theater in the middle of a pandemic. You don't want to be at a in, in the subway system. You know, in the Ebola outbreak, we saw that doctor who was infected. Uh, he came back to New York and he ran around the subway system in the bowling alleys, even when he had Ebola. That's a frightening thought. Um, <laughs> he, he was not isolated like he said he was. Uh, so you need to avoid contact and, and also realize that other people are not going to act responsibly. Even when they are infected and they know they're infected, they will break their quarantines and they will go out because they're selfish. We saw this with a journalist who had Ebola. She said she was self-isolated. She was caught on camera out at a grocery store. So don't believe that other people are going to act responsibly. They're not. They're going to put you at risk because they're selfish. And unfortunately, a lot of people are that way. Well, and even the doctor, we saw the same thing like with the doctors because there was a doctor that came back from, I believe, Africa or wherever it was, and and there was a big outrage over the news like because she wanted to not be quarantined at home. They they wanted to put her in quarantine, you know, self-quarantine at home. And she's like, well, no, I'm a doctor. Of course, I'm going to know when I'm sick. If I find, if I think that I'm infected, I'm going to turn myself in. And there was, there was outrage over that, which I didn't understand because the doctors, I mean, I guess they're going to be treating people at quarantine centers or whatever, but, you know, they basically, if if they feel like they're protected because they're in suits and they leave and they go somewhere else, well, they very well could be infected. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because this shows some of the amazing contradictions in the medical system. Uh, the doctors, really on orders from the White House and the CDC, they were saying, well, everybody should be vaccinated, but no one should be quarantined. You know, it doesn't make any sense, right? Those, those are contradictory concepts. It's just uh, anytime you start to scrutinize the government's response to these things, you find uh, uh, all kinds of problems in, in, their, in their logic. Uh, but I want to I nail the really the third part yeah. answer to this, which is uh, be prepared to bug out. And I know in the preparedness community, we talk a lot about, you know, bugging out and having your bug out bag and your bug out location and so on. Um, the pandemic is a very a justifiable scenario in which you should consider bugging out for the simple reason of isolation. Put distance between yourself physically and and uh, high-density cities. Also, to get out of what will likely be the quarantine zone. 
So if there's a quarantine of a city, that quarantine is obviously going to be set up on the perimeter of the city, with uh, and it's going to come down without any warning. This is crucial to understand. The nature of a quarantine requires the government to put it in place immediately and without notice, which means immediate roadblocks on all the highways, all the airports, all the all the systems of transportation that shut down without notice. So you're not going to there's not going to be an announcement on the news that uh, the quarantine begins in four hours. What would that cause? Everyone with the disease would flee, and obviously the quarantine wouldn't work. So you need to bug out before that happens, which means you may be bugging out under a false alarm situation where they don't do a quarantine, but it's better to be safe than sorry. Yeah, that's a great point. And right in line with everything that we talk about. So, uh, so I like that. The, um, you know, Mike, hospitals are ironically like one of the worst places to be in during a pandemic outbreak because, you know, especially if you're unsure if you're sick, because when you go there, you know, you're going to be around sick people. I mean, that's, that's where all the sick people are going. So even if you don't, if you don't have the disease, you could end up having the disease just by going there and sitting in the emergency room waiting area. So, what do you find is the best way to self-evaluate your condition to know when it's time to seek care and when it's time to really take care of yourself? This is a really great question. Uh, number one, to confirm what you just said, hospitals are the hubs of infection in every major pandemic outbreak. Uh, with Ebola, for example, it, the first deaths that always occur are the hospital nurses and doctors. Uh, because it's such a violent disease, you know, and the blood droplets are aerosolized and very easy to, to catch if you're in close proximity to someone. Um, hospitals also, even in America today, are are heavily infected with so-called superbugs. Those are things such as MRSA, MRSA, and C. diff, and others. They're completely antibiotic resistant. There are no drugs in existence today that can kill those superbugs. And there are thousands of Americans dying every year right now from infections that they acquired at the hospitals of these superbugs. So you need to think very, very carefully. And I, I can't give, I can't give your listeners a black and white answer here, but you need to evaluate very carefully the risks of going to the hospital versus the possible benefit you might receive. A hospital in a pandemic is potentially a very risky, even a deadly place. On the other hand, if you're in a serious medical crisis, you may die anyway without some kind of urgent care. So you need to consider that very, very carefully. But now in the case of Ebola, think about this. Mostly all the hospitals did was give IV fluid to patients, and that was it, because there, there is no drug, there is no vaccine to treat that. So in a, in a possible pandemic outbreak that's sweeping it around the world, it's very likely, and you mentioned it earlier, the palliative care, hospitals really are are going to be mostly helpless to do anything other than simply provide fluid. So uh, there may not be much benefit of going to the hospital, but you need to think about that depending on the variables and the circumstances happening at that time. Finally, in a pandemic, a hospital will be probably overrun by other sick patients. You won't be able to receive care anyway. So unless you're one of the first few patients to walk through that door in a pandemic, you're likely to get there and find a massive line, uh, maybe tents set up in the parking lot. Um, probably you're not going to get the care that you would expect under normal circumstances. This is why I'm such an advocate of learning skills, medical skills, 
of, of taking EMT training, paramedic training. This is why I'm such an advocate of military paramedics, of uh, firefighters who learn emergency medicine, and people who understand the power of natural medicine to uh, save lives as well, to stop bleeding, stop infections, and so on. Well, let's you know, let's go ahead and get to the the actual event, and it, it really hits home that there's something wrong. So, if you do suspect that you or a family member really is ill, what are the most critical steps that you would take to give the best treatment and avoid further spread to the rest of your family? In other words, what can we do ourselves when doctors and medicines may long, no longer be available and we can't get to the hospital? We look at it and we realize there is no care there. What can we do ourselves? You, you need to be able to quickly construct an isolation room in your own home and to be able to don uh, isolation medical gear on, on your person with the, the mask, the respirator, the gloves, the apron, isolation gowns, and so on, so that you can provide support for that family member in their isolation room without infecting yourself or infecting others. Now, an isolation room, and, by, and, and, and this is in the context of what you just mentioned. The hospitals are, are overrun. You can't get expert medical care. Obviously, if you can go to the ER, that's probably the best option, but we're talking about if that's not available. You need to build an isolation room. You can do it with things like shower curtains and duct tape, believe it or not. You, you need to understand what kills a virus. Bleach kills almost everything out there in terms of, of viruses. Uh, ultraviolet light kills every vi- virus by destroying its DNA. So sunlight is good. Bleach really works. Uh, washing surfaces works. But also you need to understand airflow. How's the air flowing through your house? Is that if that person coughs, is that air getting sucked into the air conditioner and then recirculated to the rest of the home? These are all things you need to think about. But basically what we're talking about is you need to become better educated about viral transmission and understanding the fundamentals of human biology and immune system function. I guess it's, you know, we all need to become a little a little better informed about how our bodies work and how our bodies defend themselves against uh, threats, airborne viral threats. And so maybe we could do an education course sometime, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. Well, is it something like if you do have a, a self-quarantine room, if if you put UV lights in there, does that have the same sort of effect as, I mean, obviously it, it may not be the same as the sun, but I wonder, will it have any sort of antiviral or viral killing properties if you have some sort of like a, you know, a UV light lamp or something that's, that's in that, in that space? It, it, yes, it does, but it's minimal. The, the energy density is what kills the virus or frankly, it's not really alive, but it, that's what, that's what uh, destroys the integrity of the DNA. Sure. Uh, the energy density of typical ultraviolet bulbs is extremely low compared to sunlight. And also the wavelength of the light tells you, well, determines which strains of viruses that it can effectively kill. And so it's, it's impossible to know in advance what strains are out there and exactly what wavelength they're susceptible to. Sunlight is the amazing healer here because the sunlight provides obviously a very, very broad spectrum of wavelengths, uh, that, um, you know, decontaminate. I mean, you know, third world countries, how do you, how do you purify water? Right. Yeah. You put it in water bottles, you know, you put it under the sun, let the sun cook that stuff for a couple hours and it's, and it's purified. 
Good point. The sun does the work. What about, um, I know you're a big proponent of colloidal silver as well. Does that have any any um, application to what we're talking about? Well, I, I think it does in many cases. It, it's a very effective killer topically of of bacteria, you know, surface bacteria on a countertop or something. No question that it does that. In fact, copper does that as well. So you know, copper doorknobs are, are not places where bacteria can live. But the effectiveness on a particular viral strain is uh, very much unknown, I think, and it would depend on the strain that's circulating. Um, I, I tend to advise people to have multiple layers of defense. You know, it's just like in a combat scenario. You don't want to depend on just one thing. Uh, you know, you, you have a multi-layered system of defense and you've got redundancies in place. You need to think the same way tactically about your own health defense. What if the colloidal silver doesn't work against that virus? What if the UV light doesn't work? What if the air vents are circulating it? You know, what if the hospitals are not operating? What if the power grid's down and you can't get even any electricity? How do you, you know, how do you just feed yourself? How do you pump water? <laughs> you know, how do you, how do you wash off a family member who was exposed and needs to be, you know, rinsed and soaked and washed off to be sterilized? You need to think about all these layers and, and build up your defenses layer by layer. Yeah. There's a lot more to it than most people think, obviously. Well, Mike, yeah. I, I really appreciate you sharing your expertise, expertise with us today. I mean, this is, I really think this is like our Achilles heel for our country. I mean, it really, I mean, there's lots of things that we obviously we face that are hard times, but pandemic outbreak is is already being warned even by government agencies by you know it's not being shouted out there but the murmurs are there that this is just it's an inevitability the entire world is at risk and it's only a matter of time it's not a matter of if it is really is a matter of when so listen everybody in in my opinion health equals survival and mike's work really does uncover not only the dangers that most people aren't even aware of when it comes to things like our toxic environment, but also the natural steps that you can take towards self-reliance when it comes to you and your family's medical care. So definitely go and start clicking around on Mike's site at www.naturalnews.com. I promise you, you'll probably waste a good hour. It won't be a waste, but if don't do it at work because you'll, it'll be one hour of clicking around on a site that you will get no work done at work. I promise <laughs> you. You'll get sucked in very, very quickly. So, Mike, I really appreciate you taking some time with us today, man. Thank you, Jeff. It was great to join you. I'd be happy to join you again when when the time is right. Let's hope it's not a pandemic that happens, but yeah. if it does, let's I'll not be happy to join up. Yeah, great. All right, everybody, listen up. Uh, until our next Modern Combat Survival broadcast, this is Jeff Anderson saying train hard, stay safe, prepare now. This has been Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.